Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hand. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. In our never-ending I Work For Him desire to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways that will challenge the way you think about your faith and work, today we're talking about investing our business talent in the third world to end economic suffering. And we've got Ray Menard, Executive Director and Founder of Cheetah Development, joining us for our discussion. But before we get to Ray, I want to read this verse. 1 John 3.17 says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion how can god's love be in that person ray menard founder and director of cheetah development welcome to the i work for him show well thanks jim it's great to be here you know i just quite an introduction you provide (laughs) i I try to get people know what you know if they've just tuned in for the first time today ray i want to know what they've tuned into because this show is not just for anyone because i don't want people to listen to the show and just think well i'm just going to be the same whether i listen to the show or not because i really like to think that when they're done listening to the show they're never going to be the same because now they're accountable (laughs) that's what i like to think Mm-hmm. So, Ray, you're calling in from the frozen tundra, my home state, the place where my heart lives and desires to be each and every day, especially these beautiful spring days where it's 69 and sunny up there in Minneapolis. But I miss the snow, the cold. So I'm grateful that you're calling in. It makes me feel like I'm almost there. <laughs> well, and, and not to worry, I'm sure, given it's only March, snow is just around the corner here. Well, when's the hockey tournament? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I just got back from Africa and I'm 
barely tuned into life. Here. You're ba- <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair enough. But it's either the hockey tournament or the basketball tournament. There's always a snowstorm. So you got that going for you. It's not the end of the March, end of March yet. Ray, before we get talking about this incredible ministry involved in cheetah development, talk about first how Christ is making an impact in your life today. Well, it's uh, quite a question at this time in, in my life. Uh, you know, we've been at this, this is our seventh year, so it's over six years now, and um, this last year has been uh, the hardest year of our life. Uh, my daughter, Raina, who is an amazingly gifted a young woman, she joined our work in Africa about four years ago, and she died this past July of an illness that she got there. And um, mm. it goes without saying, I mean, it's just obviously this loss has been really devastating. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, Romans 8. Um, Paul says there that if God is for us, who can be against us? And it sounds like no one can be against us, as if, as if uh, you know, we could triumph without difficulty. And then he goes on to say that we're like sheep to be slaughtered. <laughs> That's not exactly without difficulty. And, you know, the, the amazing concluding, concluding verse of that section is, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what Paul is really saying is that everything can be against us. Every Everything can be against us. And he still claims that we overwhelmingly conquer. But the triumph we're promised is just that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And this has been a period of time where I'm really learning what that love means, how incredibly amazing it is. Um, it, God's love is such an astonishing, powerful, present, it's the most certain thing we have in this universe. Um, it's, it, it is all there is. So that's, that's what my heart has been wrapped around for the last few months. How are you and your wife? Do, did you have other? Do you have other kids as well? I have two other daughters. Yeah, okay. they're they're here in the states. They're both married. I have one granddaughter. I mm. just turned a year. It is often said that the death of a child is one of the hardest moments a marriage will ever face. How are you guys? How how are you and your wife doing? God has been so good to us. Um, we're closer than we've been in decades. He's. Somehow, uh, my daughter, Raina, who was so gifted in love, um, she was so true to God's Spirit in that sense. Anyone would feel her love so fast. Somehow, um, God has used this to continue to heal us, strengthen us, build us up, and it certainly has been terribly hard. I mean, Mm. there's no denying that. And that pain has got a long ways to go, for sure, but... um, we're seeing that God brings healing. Ray, what is your wife's first name? Lonnie. With an L, Lonnie? Yep, that's it. All right, well, can I just pray for you right now? And then we'll get to the conversation about cheetah development. Father, I just thank you for allowing Ray to share this from his heart about his daughter, Raina. Lord, that you are side by side with Raina right now. Lord, I pray for... Ray and Lonnie, as they mourn the loss of their daughter and yet carry on this ministry that uh, you have laid on their hearts. Uh, Lord, thank you for Ray sharing this. There are many out there listening who have lost children. 
Lord, we're not supposed to predecease. Our kids aren't supposed to predecease us. Lord, I thank you that Ray was willing to come on and share that with us, and that it would be inspiring for us to know that we can move on, but that we never, ever forget our child. Lord, I thank you for Raina and her example of service. And Lord, I pray that Cheetah Development will uh, ex- exponentially grow because of her sacrifice. And Lord, we just ask for your blessing on the rest of our show and the talk talking about Cheetah Development. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to divert the subject. No, that's here. no, that's totally okay. Listen, this is a show about transparency in our faith, and, and really, and how that applies to our workplace, and how that moves people. And no, I didn't see that coming, but I'm so grateful you shared that because, first of all, my heart's broken for you. I have a 22 year old daughter, I have a 38 year old daughter, and a 24 year old son, and uh, I, I can't imagine losing one of my children. I've got a couple of grandchildren. So I, I, it's. It's a that's a tough one, and I appreciate you sharing it. Talk to me about Cheetah Development. Now, any anybody wondering what we're talking about today, you can go online to cheetahdevelopment.org. Cheetah, just like the animal, cheetahdevelopment.org. Where did this idea come from? Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, my pastor, no less, insisted that I go with my church on a short-term mission trip to Africa. And honestly, I didn't want to go at all, but uh, he insisted, and right until the moment we were stepping off the plane, we still didn't want to be there. Um, and what I saw in Africa was desperate poverty. You know, there's nothing like it in our country. In many ways, to be homeless and living under a bridge in the U.S. is to be better off than a person living in a mud hut in Africa. It's kind of hard to, to even comprehend. So I saw this terrible, terrible poverty, but I also saw opportunity everywhere I looked. And kind of as an idle puzzle in my mind, I began to think through how that opportunity could connect to the poverty and what would be the systems required to make that happen and, and to you know do this over and over in an institutional and a scalable way. Um, actually had no interest in actually pursuing it, but <laughs> was, just was thinking it through because I was sitting there. Another transparent moment by Ray Menard. I like that. That's very good. <laughs> so through a series of miracles, uh, God made it really clear to me he was calling me to do that. So... That you've got yeah, a, you've got a very extensive business background, and obviously that lent you to having those kinds of thoughts, those visionary kind of thoughts, those those organizational kind of thoughts. How I mean, this is a pretty big undertaking. So obviously, your business background led you into this. Is that why you think God called you that way, or, or was there something else that you think God saw in you that He wanted there? You know, somebody, uh, I was complaining about my lack of preparation to actually work in Africa. Africa's not the same as the U.S. And uh, he said, Ray, don't you know God's not looking for somebody with a plan? He's looking for somebody who's available. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, of course he finds ways to use all the things he's gifted us with over time. And um, I'm grateful for that. But he also puts us in places that we're not prepared for over and over and over again. But that business uh, gifts, those experiences, certainly have paid off. You know, what other people see as need, I, I see as opportunity. You know, good business people solve problems. The more fundamental the need, the more likely it is that people are going to pay for that service or product. But also, you have to say that business is a rigorous discipline. It forces you to try to get profit to the bottom line. And some people think that's a sign of greed, but really it's a discipline to, that, that says you have to solve all of these problems so that you exist 
next month, and the month after. If you don't make a profit, you don't continue on. And in uh, this context, we would describe that as sustainability. What, what good would it do to get tens of thousands of people uh, dependent on the business you're providing and then have it fail? Mm. It doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, because all those people are getting employed or getting fed by it or, or whatever it may be. You know, I, I loved on your website. I spent a lot of time studying your website in preparation for today. And I, I'd heard many, many times, feed a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man a fish and he eats for a lifetime. That's where I heard it end. You know, I grew up in Minnesota, where you are. Okay, there's enough lakes to choke people. I mean, there's 10,000 lakes, 20,000 ponds, and Lake Superior, which is bigger than all of them. And there's fish everywhere. There's fish in the ponds. There's fish in the ditches in the summer. Summer in the springtime when the Mississippi's overflowing. I mean, all of that. But you take it you take it one step further. Feed a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Show him how to sell fish and he eats steak. Why is this statement so significant? It's unbelievable. Well, let me back up and say the sad part of this statement is that rarely do we actually teach people how to fish. We're still the world Worldwide, the vast majority of work around the world to help people is giving fish. Um, we talk about teaching fish, but it's so, so hard to do. Um, if you're going to teach somebody how to fish, actually not just teach them, but enable them to do it, you have to have all the systems in place that deliver the fishing line and poles and, and everything. And heck, if they're catching fish, you want to do something with it. You, you want to turn it into income. If, if all they're going to do is eat the fish, where are they going to get their medicine? How are they going to put their kids in school? So you have to take the next step and help them sell the fish. Um, that's the result that really changes lives. That's when they can finally live in, in the hope of being the image of God, of flourishing, of that creative place. You know, we have another saying, typically aid gives to the poor, we buy from the poor. And that's, that's our whole objective. That's what makes a person enabled. I love that. Buy from the poor. You know, I never understood I, 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 what you just said was so true. You know, we're still stuck. The aid that the U.S. gives all over the world is giving people fish. Or in this case, I spent some time in the Dominican on a couple of short-term trips, and I was near the port, and I saw them offloading containers full of rice. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, they don't even grow the food they're eating here it's getting shipped in. They don't even grow rice there, and it's one of their staples. Rice and beans. Beans and rice, and then on the, for dinner they have rice and beans. And I thought, the Dominican, I don't know if you've been there or not, it's, it's spectacular. It is green from one end to the other. There is land to grow all over the place, yet most of it, it lies vacant or undeveloped, or whatever you want to say. It's not farmed. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, we're shipping in the food there. Why? How does that help people? It doesn't. No, it doesn't help people at all. It's kind of sad. Um, we have this impression that we're doing good by shipping food to hungry people. But the reality is is that most of the food we ship, I mean, there are exceptions after, a, say, a typhoon like just happened in those islands off of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they've lost everything, and somebody needs to bring them some short-term solutions like food and water. Um, but in most parts of the world, aid is competing with the the local systems. If you're a farmer in Africa, um, how do you compete with free that's pouring in all around you? And how do all the businesses that are needed to make agriculture and food processing, etc., succeed when what they have to compete with is free or subsidized? It's, it's just, 
it, it continues to drag down the system. Well, okay, and I can understand how 100 years ago we didn't get that. And I can understand maybe even how 80, 70 or 80 years ago we didn't get that. But why is it, how is it we still don't get that now? I mean, how is that not even possible that we don't understand that? Well, we don't let people do it to us in the U.S. I just heard a program today about the dumping of steel in the U.S. We don't let people do that to us. We, we think it's unfair trade, but yet we do it to people all over the world. Um, it's a very complicated subject. It has to do with the way the ship is running, and it's hard to turn. It's a big industry. Um, American uh, farm lobby requires that we do it. All kinds of things are out there happening. Um, but it's it's sad what the end result is. And, and the result is going to come back to bite us. Africa is the place that should be feeding the world. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Oh, I, I, I've seen uh, pictures. It's unbelievable, except for maybe the Sahara. That's a little dry up there. Yeah. Well, 65% of the available farmland, and I'm not talking about uprooting uh, forests at all. The, the, this is available farmland. 65% of the available farmland on Earth is in Africa, and 97% of the available water. Um, Africa is only feeding itself at about a 50% rate, and within a few decades, it's only going to be feeding itself at about a 20% rate. Oh, boy. It's, it's agriculture is failing, and we're not helping to solve it. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the world needs to eat, and Africa literally has the resources to feed the earth. Oh. And instead, we're holding people down in poverty. But before we get back to Ray, it's time for our book highlight segment really quick. Our book highlight today is Halftime by Bob Buford. A short explanation. Are you ready to move into the second half of your life? Bob Buford believes the second half of your life can be better than the first, much better. But first, you need to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. In halftime, Bob Buford focuses on the importance and the important time of transition. The time one, as he says, a person moves beyond the first half of the game of life. This book is so appropriate for listeners listening today about cheetah development because it's all about are we going to chase success and waste our time chasing success here in the United States or are we going to pursue significance with our Heavenly Father and how does and how and why does that look like? What does that look like? And remember, you need to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. Right, we're back live with Raymond Art, executive director and founder of Cheetah Development, found online at cheetahdevelopment.org. Ray, right before the break, you said some staggering things, that 65% of the world's farmland is in Africa, and then something like 90-plus percent of the world's fresh water is in Africa? Yeah, the water that's uh, currently available, unused, is just flowing into the ocean instead of, you know, say, planting crops. Think, think of the opposite of that in California, or the joke about where does the Colorado River flow? Well, it never flows anywhere. It just is used up. Yeah, that's right. So, California, <laughs> Arizona, that's right. That's right. And so Africa has these amazing resources. It's, it's probably the wealthiest continent on the planet in every way. And how... I'm sorry, go ahead. But it's not being used um, to help people, most of it. How is it... That, I mean, what percentage of that farmland is actually planted? So... Um, about 65% of the available, that is unplanted farmland in the world, is in Africa. Okay. A lot of the land that's there that is planted is hardly productive at all. Uh, it produces at a, a tenth or 10% or 15% of the rate that farmland in the U.S. would produce at. 
because people are planting uh, poor seeds, they don't have access to fertilizer, they don't know how to space their plants, they don't know how to manage weeds, all kinds of very simple issues. So, so we simple work. things. Wow. All right, we're talking with Ray Menard, executive director and founder of Cheetah Development, found online at cheetahdevelopment.org. And we're talking about how our business talents can be invested in the third world to end economic suffering. Welcome back to the I Work For Him show, Ray. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Right, be, here. right before the break, we started talking about the poor. And really, when whenever anybody thinks about Africa, they think about everywhere but South Africa, and they think about the incredible poverty that we see on TV all the time, and we keep thinking, wow, we've been sending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars there for a hundred years. Why hasn't it made any difference? And that's, I mean, we always kept saying, okay, well, if we send money, it'll fix the problem. We've been saying that for a hundred plus years. Why hasn't it made a difference, Ray? Actually, about $2 trillion. Oh, that's a bigger number. That's got a lot of zeros. $2 trillion? So we went into debt, $2 trillion, sending money to people or sending food to people that hasn't made a difference. Well, it isn't debt. A lot of it is is private aid as well. Oh, good. Okay. But, you know, um, think of the size of of the economy here, uh, maybe 300 million people. If all 300 million people of our country were prosperous... Um, that's only, let's say, not quite a, a tenth of the population of Africa, or a, or a twentieth, uh, excuse me, twenty uh, percent. Uh, and so, if we took all of our money and dumped it there, spread it out, we're not going to have the kind of impact we need to have. Um, that's not an answer. That's that's wealth redistribution. What we need is wealth creation. Jesus talks a lot about investing. You know. That's that's a common theme of his parables, about how he hands out talents and see, sees who does what with them, and rewards people who produce more out of it. And that's what we need to do. We need to stop giving stuff out, because that's, that's a one-time thing. It's the give-a-fish deal. We've got to start finding ways that we create wealth. And when you create wealth, you actually repay it. Uh, it isn't a gift. And so that means you can recycle that money and create wealth over and over. You make a bigger pie, not just take a piece of ours and hand it off. Uh, and, and that impact is so different. When you give somebody something, it's like saying to them, you're not good enough to be trusted to actually do something with an investment. Whereas when you invest in them, they become your partner. And it, it affirms their, wealth, their, their value as a human being as a a creation of God. The other is very demeaning. It's very patronizing. So if we're going to really address poverty, we need to change the way we think about it. But of course, nobody would ever think that it was demeaning to give money. I mean, that's. I mean, we've been taught all of our lives as people grow up. Certainly, you grew up in Minnesota. You're you're Minnesota nice like me. I mean, we just want to help people. I mean, somebody's sitting alongside the road in the middle of a snowstorm. You stop and you help them. It doesn't matter. So we think right. we're helping people, and really, what you're saying is we're hurting people. And and I read a book, a very interesting book. A missionary friend of mine from Costa Rica sent me when helping hurts. 
And it was all about that that concept of when we're helping people, we're actually hurting them instead of exactly what you're doing, helping with wealth, cre- helping wealth creation by investment. You, you know, your website, I want to get into this because I really want people to know how they can help, how they can get involved in cheetah development. Your website says, this is your observation in Africa. People are starving, food is rotting, and farmers are mired in poverty. And that doesn't make sense to me at all. Okay, there's some people have so much food it rots, and other people are starving to death, and it's all on the same continent. How does that work? Well, one of the let me back up a little bit and say poverty isn't what we think it is. Most of the poor on Earth are subsistence farmers. These are people out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we think of poverty as an urban problem in the United States. Uh, our farmers tend to be large, and generally prosperous. So we don't think of poverty as related to agriculture. But these people are what we call subsistence farmers. They, they farm because they have to. That's the only way they'll eat. It's not an option. It's not a choice. It's not a profession. It is what they do so they can eat. And ironically, they rarely feed their own family. About half of them are chronically malnourished, which is kind of sad when you think about it. And, and that, that experience of, of being malnourished is, is scheduled. It's part of life. I used to think that a famine was something that happened after an occasional drought or war or something like that. But no, famine is something that happens every year. The wet, dry seasons become feast famine. During the the rainy season, you can grow a lot of crops. But you just don't have any systems, any businesses, I should point out, that transport it, distribute it, process it, preserve it, turn it into food so that in the dry season people are eating. And, and take the value of the land and turn it into income so that the poor actually come out of that poverty. There are two billion people on this planet that are just who I described to you. We say that they make less than $2 or less than a dollar a day. A lot of our farmers make less than 50 cents a day. But to get to that number, we have to measure the food that they grew and ate. It's not like they actually had cash. So most of the families that we work with they might see $20 in an entire year. Mm. Of course they can't afford to put their kids in school. Of course they can't afford medicine so they die young. Of course they can't do all the things that we take for granted. We think of, of poverty as a, a lack of things, but the poor think of poverty as a lack of options. What they want are the options to put their kids in school. They don't want us to build a school and give it to them. They want to pay for their own kids. I mean, you would understand that as a parent. You talked about your children. I'm sure you've taken pride in how they've done in school, and and you wouldn't have liked it if somebody had to pay their way through everything, right? No, I'd have felt bad. I'd have felt like I'm not doing my job as a dad, providing and protecting. Well, imagine if far worse as a dad, no matter how hard you worked, you suffered under the curse of Genesis, right? Uh, your, Your life was futile. You were unable to take your family out of poverty. In fact, they starved most of the year. Mm. That's the reality of poverty. All right, so let's start. We got to find some positive. We got we got to pick this up, I, I, and it's reality. It's it's. But I want to talk about how we can help a solution. First, I want to thank Carol calling in from Palmetto. She won a copy of halftime. We'll get that out to you tomorrow. So, Ray, talk about the solutions. Cheetah Development, you, you guys aren't a micro-enterprise, little finance kind of a company. I mean, there, there are mission, missions out there giving small little loans to help people buy a goat or buy chickens and start a little flock or something like that. You guys are, are different than that. Your, your loans are bigger than the micro-super-duper micro-enterprise loans. 
Talk to me about how cheetah development works and how people can get involved. Well, it's back to that business point of view. We said, what has to be done to succeed? And if you're going to plant a crop, because all these people are farmers, if you're going to plant a crop, let's, let's talk about corn, the most common crop in the United States. You're going to spend a couple hundred dollars an acre. Well, this poor farmer that only sees $20 a year, they're only going to qualify for a $20 loan or a $30 loan. Well, how are you going to plant even a tiny farm of two acres? You can't. So you're stuck in poverty. So what we've done is we've created new systems of financing people that the world isn't really known before. Um, we have farmers now that four years ago didn't have $20 to their name, and they are receiving loans from us that are over $1,000, and they're making profits that are over $1,000 a year. This is jumping people out of poverty. That's the kind of impact we're having. We see people that in their first year on average, people that engage with us go to $200 income from 20 to $200. That's a life with options. It feels like poverty to somebody in the U.S., but to somebody who's living in a mud hut, it's dramatic life change. And that's just the beginning. Every year it gets better. How do you keep, I mean, at the same time you're helping with these loans, and, and I imagine you're teaching them business principles, but how do you keep them from blowing that money? I mean, how, talk to me about the plan on how you disciple these people, because I imagine there's got to be a, a, a portion of this where you're actually discipling them in Christ and, and teaching them about Christ at the same time. Yeah, actually, that's a great question. You know, um, the rate of Christianity is much higher in Africa than it is in the U.S. There's a lot more Christians in Africa than there are here. A lot more churchgoers there than there are here. And um, we work closely with churches and villages everywhere. And what pastors want is a way to help their their people. Their, Their people are dying. And what they want more than anything is not a missionary to show up and preach again, because there's already churches there, and most of the village is Christian. What they want somebody that helps their people survive, thrive, flourish, succeed, live a life in Christ's image, not the life they're living today, which is worse than animals are treated in the U.S. So we, we do engage very closely, and, you know, there, one of the most common questions people ask me is corruption. Africa's filled with corruption. But part of our training is... <laughs> so is the United States. Help. News alert. So is the United States. <laughs> yes. News alert. There you go. I, I would bet that when you really look at it, it's no more corrupt than we are. No, it isn't. It's just that a different type, different <laughs> cultural corruption. And we, we, we teach people how to live an honest life, you know, how to be stewards of, of what they're given, how to succeed, how to think ahead. I mean, if you're, if you're living hand-to-mouth, you can't think ahead. You're, you're just trying to survive today. So all of that is part of what we do, and we build communities. You can see the difference in a community that we're in, in in about the third year because there's so much money flowing into that place all of a sudden. So how does it work? Well, Tell me how it works, Ray, because I, I, before we only have 15 minutes left, and, of course, we've got some commercials in there. I want people to know how it works. Let's just say that I, I – mean, I mean, just tell me how it works from the beginning. Okay, we start companies. That's what we do. And the companies are designed to solve the problems that lock people in poverty. So for farmers, where we work hand-in-hand hand with them, we uh, coordinate loans. We get the money from American investors, we, whom we pay back with interest. They make a profit on the money. And uh, we arrange loans through commercial banks. We structure credit systems. We provide the seeds and fertilizer, and the company that's doing all of this is designed to make a profit. It makes a little profit when it provides the seeds and fertilizer, and it makes another little profit when it buys the crops back. 
again, as I said, we buy from the poor. So we guarantee these people a market for everything they grow. That's something they've never experienced in their life. And through the training we provide, the inputs we, we uh, organize for them, suddenly they're growing five to ten times as much per acre. And it's astonishing to them, the productivity that God's world can produce. It's just amazing, and it's so beautiful. So that is the beginning, and that allows the, the land and the people to start producing enough that the businesses that are needed around that, food processing and input suppliers and uh, equipment for working the land, et cetera, et cetera, all those things can now start to function and allow us to make investments in those companies that will take up those crops, make even better profits that help this whole organization thrive and show a return for investors. Investors, did you hear that? Um, We do take some donation money and we use it to expand our work so we can grow into new regions and into new villages and this year into new countries. Those first years in, in those places, you don't make any money. Um, and so we need help to do that. And, and so we are a nonprofit in the U.S. But everything we do in Africa is a for-profit company. It's for-profit. And we make money. And the people that work with us make money. These are the poorest of the poor. Uh, it's been said by big, important people who I won't say their names today because they wouldn't like it known. Africa is a black hole. <laughs> it seems like no matter what you put in there, it doesn't succeed. But it does. You just have to go right down to the level of the poor. I had this crazy idea when I went to Africa that I could end poverty without knowing the poor. Well, God sure did fix me from thinking that. You have to you have to get with people. You have to become your partners. You have to engage with them. And then you can actually change lives. So if I'm a, a local Christian business owner here, and, and let's just say I've got profits of five to $10,000 a year that I really want to designate towards making a difference in Africa, can I get involved? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we need so much help. You know, what we've done over the last five years is demonstrate that this basic idea can work that you can end poverty, that you can make investments that succeed, that the people that are most trapped can actually jump out of that. Not in not in a 20-year gradual thing, but immediately in the first year. And what we need are a lot of smart business people that are engaged, and we need donors, and, and we need investors. Um, we're trying to grow like crazy right now. And, and I have to tell you, it, it's it's kind of sad but the body of Christ has been almost invisible in this. You can find all across Africa Christian, uh, excuse me, not Christians, you can find Chinese and Indians and Arabs that are, are taking land away from the poor, that are um, extracting resources and shipping them back to their nations, but you don't find Christians engaged in turning in the resources that God gave into productive value for the poor. I think part of it's education, though, Ray, honestly, because the stuff, just some of the simple things you've told me are things I didn't know. And until I read your website, I didn't know some of the stuff either. We're talking today with Ray Menard, executive director and founder of Cheetah Development, found online at cheetah.org. And we're talking about investing our business talents, our business profits into Africa, into third world countries to help end economic suffering. But we're not talking about sending aid. We're talking about something way different. Welcome back to the I Work Rim Show. Ray Menard. 
Thanks. Great to be back. I know we're counting down. We are counting down, and it's making me sad because there's so much here. What I really want to know, Ray, in the last few minutes of the show, how can, just assume I'm a Christian business owner, which I am, uh, but how can I get involved? Can I, can I send, can I get investing? Can I start investing money there? Can I invest my, do you need my talent or just my money? What do you need? So um, when it comes to investing, we have to have accredited investors because that's the U.S. law. Um, These are fairly wealthy people. Uh, Hopefully those laws are going to be changed over the next five years. There's a lot of movement in that direction through uh, crowdfunding and stuff like that. We're working on on setting up some of those sites. Um, We can take donations from anybody, of course, and we do have business people that are dedicating a percentage of their profits uh, to our work. And that's that's incredibly exciting. And we have a lot of, you're talking about uh, the second half book. Mm-hmm. Um, we have time. a lot of people, yeah, halftime. We have a lot of people that are engaged with us uh, in their second half of their life and also taking a lot of the investments that they have sitting in Wall Street. That's doing great today. But putting them in a place where the impact is human lives change. And I think that God is calling us to that ahead of increasing our portfolios. This is a portfolio of, of heaven. And, and uh, boy, we, we're hiring people. We have lots of volunteers. We have people that uh, we have people that have dropped everything and volunteered for us for more than a year. That that is taking up the cross of Christ. That is following, no matter what. And that is how you, you change lives. Talk that's to, the kind of thing we need. Talk to me about what it means to be an accredited investor, though. So, I mean, how does somebody get to that? Let's just say I've got somebody listening today that is what you said, wealthy. What does it mean to be an accredited investor? It means that uh, you have a net worth of a, above a million dollars. Um, and then there's other measures of that as well. And uh, we have a lot of those people beginning to engage with us. And what's wonderful about them is that often, besides investing their money, they invest their time and their talent and their intelligence. They work on the businesses that we're starting um, it, it is truly a life-engaging opportunity. And so this is a wonderful way for people who, say, in a typical uh, church setting, their business skills are not in high demand. But we're changing all of that. That's what we need. This is how you change lives. And we're trying, to change, all, we're trying to change all that, too. We're trying to get the churches to understand how, mm-hmm. how the faith and work interlace. I mean, and that's, that's a whole paradigm shift on the church's side. In, in working with the churches, you said you work right alongside pastors in Africa. So, and, and they're helping you. It makes it a lot faster process in getting engaged with the people that are probably going to be your most uh, uh, fastest to learn how to do business. I mean, are, are they helping you on the fast track there? Oh, absolutely. Pastors are often the most educated people in a village. They're often the most respected. They have large congregations that they can leverage into programs. Um, so they, they're, they're really valuable. The church is very active in Africa, mm-hmm. very active in Africa. This is, we, we used to talk about this as being the mission field. Uh, I'm telling you, they're going to be sending missionaries to the U.S. and Europe and the rest of the developing world. This is where God is moving fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watched Tanzania in the six years that I've been there go from being 50% Christian to 65%. No way. These are, How cool would that be if that happened in the United States? <laughs> yeah, and these are people attending church. You know, in the U.S., we, we talk about, in the Bible Belt, it's about a 20% attendance of church. This is at a different level. Mm. And it's real. That's that, That's yeah. the deal. It's, it's real movement of the church. All right, so how do people find out more about Cheetah Development? Well, go to our website. 
In the uh, documents library, you'll find a document I'd highly recommend reading. It's a, it's a bit lengthy, not too bad though. It's it's got lots of pictures, <laughs> and it's our five year business plan. It really is a description of poverty and how to address it. Describes our model, and also you can find a uh, a form you can fill in and and ask for more information or uh, ask to meet with somebody or talk to somebody about what we're doing, and um, we'll get back to you. Uh, we have a lot of people that fill in that, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities. Be patient with us, um, and uh, God is faithful. Well, that's for sure. All right, so the website is cheetahdevelopment.org, cheetahdevelopment.org, and look for the five-year plan. All right, we're coming to the end of another I Work For Him show, and boy, was this show fast-moving and so much information. If you missed the beginning, you got to go back, and you're going to have to listen to the archive. I'm looking for a 1,000 people to join the I Work For Him nation. I'm looking for a 1,000 people to start praying with their, praying for their coworkers and employees. Start looking for ways to reach out to those coworkers and employees outside of work so you can develop relationships with them. I'm looking for a thousand people to start looking for ways to serve the people they work with each and every day. I'm looking for a thousand people to start looking for ways to pray with people, to be the best and brightest example of a person in your position in your workplace. I'm looking for a thousand people to be a, live a consistent witness at home, in your neighborhood, in your office to recognize that you are a Christ follower no matter where you are. Contact me via Facebook, via email, Jim at IWorkForHim.com, Jim at IWorkForHim.com. Contact us on the website, subscribe, any of those things, let me know. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.